check, 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 check. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Newly Independent Podcast, where we do deep dives and discussions on politics, religion, and social issues affecting the world around us. I'm your host, Grant Spencer. And just a reminder, you can check us out on most social media platforms. Not on Parler yet, but who knows, maybe one day. (laughs) Uh, You can check out the show at Newly Independent on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or just search the Newly Independent Podcast. And you can find me at Grant Spencer II. That's Grant Spencer II on the same platforms. So make sure you give us a follow so you can be updated anytime we got new episodes or announcements. And hit me up with any suggestions on what topics or issues we should cover in future episodes. Now before we jump in, this episode is a two-parter. So my original plan was to upload both of these separately, but between a car accident and other holiday madness, uh, I was not able to. So I'm recording both of these at the same time and uploading them together. So this is a two for one. The first episode is a history of Christmas and where some of our favorite traditions come from. The second episode gets into the war on Christmas as well as some of the other holidays that are celebrated around this time. So without further ado, let's jump on in. Let's dive into today's episode of the history of Christmas. Now, before we can discuss Christmas, we have to go far back in time before Christianity to some of the earliest belief systems. Now, most of these early belief systems revolved around nature worship. You have to think about how powerful and important nature was to these more primitive cultures. You have people like the Celts and Druids that worshipped trees and had an entire alphabet system based around trees. The sun, the moon, and stars were used for timekeeping, travel, tracking the seasons, and harvests. And all these bits of nature were so important to these people that they begin to attach their different deities to these pieces of nature. And one of the most important ones was the winter solstice. Now, the winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. Uh, A lot of people will say that days get shorter in winter. This is technically not true. Uh, Winter, the beginning of winter, is at the end of December and is actually the shortest day of the year. And days get gradually longer throughout the winter season on into January and February. Now, this became important to a lot of these cultures that attached deities to the sun. A lot of these cultures believed the sun to be very significant since it was the source of heat and light. 
And in these winter months, when the days got shorter, the nights got longer, darkness and cold were big threats to these early cultures. And they believed that their god or deity that they attached to the sun was getting weak during this time. And in some cases, would even die during these short daylight hours. The winter solstice was of importance as a sign of hope and the beginning of longer days. This winter solstice was so important because the days began to get longer, signifying that their sun god was healing from whatever illness he had or coming back to life from his death. A lot of culture used cultures used evergreen trees or evergreen boughs to represent the eternal life of these sun gods. And they would decorate their homes or their communities with these evergreen trees or evergreen branches to signify that the sunlight would return and that their god would begin to heal again. The Egyptians had a sun god named Ra, and they would fill their home with these green palm branches. In the Norse pantheon in Scandinavia and Norway, they believed in the god Balder, who was associated with evergreens and was the Norse god personification of day and light. He was called the Shining One, or a prince, as being the son of Odin, the chief god of the North Pantheon. In Wiccan lore, there's the story of the Holly King and the Oak King, who were locked in this eternal war of summer and winter. The Oak King grows stronger in the summer, as the Holly King grows weaker, and as we go into the winter solstice, the Holly King grows stronger and has his reign as the Oak King gets weaker. We mentioned the Celts and Druids before, they used evergreens as a symbol of everlasting life. Now, what's the importance here? If you're familiar with Christianity, you've already picked up on some of the similarities here. A prince, a son of the most important god, eternal life, death and rebirth, coming out of darkness into a period of light, a hope for the future and salvation from the darkness. A lot of these things line up really well with Christianity and the coming of Jesus. And this made it very easy for the Christian church and Catholic church, as it began to gain popularity, to put the Christmas holiday around the same time as the winter solstice. As many people know, Jesus' birth, no one knows the date of Jesus' birth, but most people assume that it's sometime in the spring or summer because of the shepherds. The shepherds would have been out in the fields uh, sometime in the spring or summer. Some people say February or April, or even later dates into the summer. So why the date of December? This would have been to unite or override the pagan festivals that were going on celebrating these pagan gods. Now, a quick note on the word pagan. A lot of people today might associate pagan with witchcraft or Satan worship or things like that, but the original use of the word was used by Christians to designate anyone that was not Christian. The word heathen was also used. Now, today these are used kind of as derogatory remarks, and in those days they were used kind of the same way, but they were also just a kind of signifier of, oh, these people aren't with us. These people are Christian. These people are not. It's either Christian or pagan, Christian or heathen. 
Now, getting into some of the pagan festivals that were going on at the time, Saturnalia was one of the biggest ones, which is the a week-long celebration of the god Saturn, which was a, a Roman sun god. The Saturnalia feast celebrated his death and rebirth. There was feasting, gifts, a boar's head would be decorated with holly and rosemary and presented while people sang. And there was a role reversal of the kings and nobility dressing like peasants and actually inviting peasants and slaves to this festival. It was a uniting festival where everyone was sort of equals. Going across to Scandinavia and other Norse countries, they would have celebrated Odin, who was the master of Yule. And he rode an eight-legged horse named Sleipnir and would judge who was good and evil on this hunt across the sky, called the Great Hunt. The Saturnalia feasts would eventually, during the Middle Ages, turn into the Feast of Fools, where, again, the roles were reversed, and the slaves had their own servants, the rich would dress like beggars, and they would choose one beggar to become the King of Saturnalia. They would wear masks, have theater, and would all feast together. And at the end of the feast, the king of Saturnalia, that beggar that they chose, would be sacrificed to... Now, with the Christian and Roman Catholic churches gaining power over Europe, there were several very important coronations that happened on Christmas Day. This began with Charlemagne in the year 800, who was coronated on Christmas Day, and this began this sort of divine right of kings and this association with Christmas that led a lot of weight to the holiday. This continued in 1046 with Henry III and 1066 with William the Conqueror. Now, we'll return to some of these European rulers later, but let's go back to the trees for a minute. As we talked about before, these evergreen trees were a symbol of eternal life and return to life from death. In many of these pagan cultures where they worship trees, there are a lot of instances of evergreen trees being used during this winter solstice season. Take mistletoe. Mistletoe was a druid symbol of peace and healing, and the English churches actually banned mistletoe since it was such a powerful symbol of paganism. Another popular Christmas tradition is the Yule Log. The origins for the Yule Log is these ancient cultures would cut down the largest tree near the town, bring it into the center of the town, and burn it. And a small piece of the tree would be kept for the lighting of the next year's tree. And this was called the Yule Log. And these cultures believed it to be magical. That it could cure frostbite, toothaches, keep your house from catching on fire, and protect you from hail. It would be decorated with holly, pine cones, and splashed with wine to cleanse the old year and bring in the new. And when that new year came around and the new tree was pulled into town, it would be used to begin the fire for the new tree. These traditions carried over even into Christian cultures, where in Germany, German Christians would bring these evergreen trees, like pines and conifers, into their churches and into their homes. But the original traditions for these were pagan tree worship. Martin Luther, famous for the 95 Theses, 
according to legend, was walking home and saw the beauty of the stars mingling within the trees. And as legend goes, as he came home, he put candles all around his tree as a way to recreate this beautiful night scene that he had seen. One of the ways Christians tried to get around this pagan tree worship was by hanging apples from their trees. might sound a bit strange, but the reason that they did this was to symbolize the tree in paradise or in the Garden of Eden, the apples hanging from the tree. Later, this would go on to be replaced by glass ornaments, and this is one of the origins for the ornaments that we have today. Another more graphic origin for Christmas ornaments is witches' balls. Now, during the time of the witch trials, suspected witches would be thrown into water as sort of a second baptism. And if they failed this second baptism, they would float. If they weren't a witch, they would sink. Now, around this time, there's several cultures that use glass floats for fishing. Today, we use little orange and red floaters or little orange and white bobbers, little styrofoam ones. But back in this time, they used colored glass balls, and they floated, which is where they got the term witch balls, which would go on to inspire Christmas ornaments. Now, coming over in, into America, the Puritans actually banned Christmas celebrations in America because of its pagan roots. Now, if you know anything about the Puritans, they hated any kind of enjoyment. They're known for their strict interpretation of the Bible, that any source of merriment was not honoring to God. And there was actually a fine of five shillings for anyone who took Christmas Day off, feasted, or celebrated in any way this sort of merriment. These American Puritans agreed that Christmas wasn't Christian at all. And Protestants and Puritans both believed that people needed these strict rules on how to be religious and stay away from this sinful merrymaking. They believed that having God's day, or Christ's mass, associated with paganism was an insult to God. Meanwhile, back in England, King George III had a German wife who brought these evergreen traditions into England in 1761 with the yew branch, where you would decorate this evergreen branch with candles and exchange gifts around it. And not 40 years later, in the year 1800, she commissioned a large, beautiful Christmas tree to celebrate the ending of the century. Not long later, in 1846, the famous Queen Victoria, her mother and her husband were both German. And there is a famous sketch done of Queen Victoria and her family around a Christmas tree. Now, Queen Victoria was extremely popular in Britain and America and inspired a lot of the cultures in both countries. So this inspired a lot of people in both countries to start getting their own Christmas trees. Now, German Christians in America had their community trees as early as the 1740s. But as late as the 1840s, they were still seen as pagan symbols and not accepted by most Americans. In New England, it didn't become a legal holiday until 1856, with some schools still being open on Christmas Day into the 1870s. Around this time, right after the Civil War is when Thomas Nast, a political cartoonist, created the image of Santa Claus that we see today. This and the Industrial Revolution of the time made Christmas about this 
commercialization of the holiday, the toys, the gifts, and this influence of Father Christmas. They chose a Turkish monk named St. Nicholas from the 3rd century. That's 200s. He was also known as Sinterklaas in Holland. And he was celebrated by the Catholics as Father Christmas, this old folk character. This is very important as you get to start seeing these other cultures as they immigrated into America, bringing their Christmas and holiday traditions with them into the country, making America truly this melting pot of Christmas traditions. Dutch immigrants brought their own stories to America, where they got Anglicanized, and in the early 1800s, you get the famous poem, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." And as we head into the 1900s, you see young English Americans decorating their house with homemade ornaments of wood and glass, and German Americans using the apples, nuts, and popcorn that they had been taught to use. Then into the 1920s, we have the famous Coca-Cola ad with the depiction of Santa, which is generally agreed to be the beginning of Santa being used as a marketing tool, leading to the overcapitalization or overcommercialization of the holiday. It's very interesting to see, looking back on it, how all of these different traditions from all over the world slowly evolve and grow, and then coming to America and through immigration begin to evolve and grow even more and combine into what we have today. We go from the 1650s, where Christians didn't even want to celebrate Christmas because it was so pagan and dishonoring to God, to the 1850s, where it wasn't even considered an important holiday and people were still in school, still going to work, into the early 1900s, where it begins to be widely accepted by many. Now, what's the takeaway from all this? Atheists and pagans will use this as a sort of gotcha to Christians to explain to them, look, your religion and your holiday are based around pagan and heathenistic religions. And they're correct to some extent. Most Christians don't know about these pagan origins to their holidays or some of their favorite traditions. But does it really matter? Here's the point. Christians should be able to celebrate their holiday however they want to. But they should be familiar with the holiday that they're celebrating and where these traditions come from. So to the atheists or pagans that are listening, let Christians enjoy their holiday. To the Christians that are listening, know what your holiday traditions are and where they come from. In the next episode, we'll dive more into the war on Christmas. But until then, happy holidays. <laughs>